welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. There's a, there's a, there's a deep distrust from, from the consumers and customers out there towards development projects in the development industry, so we've had to do a lot of work to break that down. Today, we hear from an expert panel on build-to-rent property featuring New South Wales Land and Housing Corps, Anna Skews, Make Ventures, Chris Daff, Grey Stars, Chris Key, the NHFIC's Brendan Grotty, and ANZ's Karen Carcass. We hope you enjoy the discussion. The first one for me when I think about this space is, you know, how do we actually make sure that we can meet um, the supply needs for both owners and renters? So what are some of the opportunities and challenges of being an early adopter in the things that you're looking at. So what are the sort of ingredients, if you will, that you need Chris to get a, say for example, a build to rent off the ground or Chris to sort of scale up a pathway to home ownership model? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, um, you know, the way that we've sort of experienced the last 18 months or so uh, in terms of going on this journey and and figuring out how we get you know some depth into uh, the supply of of build to rent into into the Australian market it's become apparent that you know there was probably a fairly low level of understanding of the real detail behind what the product actually is um, and that's across a broad spectrum of stakeholders um, you know that we need to sort of go on the journey with to to help understand um, you know what the product is and how it's different from traditional build to build to sell build to sell products so um, you know going through that journey talking to you know various you know stakeholders at a government level talking to banks talking to investors and getting them to really understand the nuts and bolts of how it works um, to help to unlock what will hopefully be changes in in policy that will will help facilitate it um, you know, the provision of uh, both debt and equity finance to support the growth of the sector uh, and then the changes in policy that enable us to deliver a product that is best suited to renters, um, because ultimately, you know, our, our view is, and there's you know various studies to support it, is that you know the mindset of the renter and what they look for out of the product that they're seeking is different than the person that goes to buy. So, you know, a renter has a shorter term mindset when it comes to um, what they what they're looking for. They don't rent more space than what they need. They typically uh, will only rent uh, what they need for the next 12 months because it really comes down to a price point. So ultimately they'll be looking to, you know, put away some money, save to ultimately get to the point of ownership. Um, so we need to cater a product to them that hits the price point that will then facilitate them to, to create savings and to be able to grow um, into home ownership. Um, so. Yeah, there's a few things around the way, you know, apartment design works and, and various codes work that would be potentially more restrictive on us doing it the way that we think it should be done. Um, so it's sort of going through that process of educating on that front um, to then enable the, the sort of the change in policy to then go ahead and build what we need to to meet what true renter demand is. Look, from my perspective, like innovation in anything is difficult and, um, and it's been a real sort of challenge for us and, and a bit of a relatively steep learning curve on, um, you know, how we're sort of going to get this to work and there's a few elements to it. So one is um, we had to find a model that we thought was easy to understand and appropriate for, you know, an element of the Australian context and that focus on ultimate home ownership was something that, that, we, that we thought was important. and. That definitely helped the conversation with the capital. And the reality is that big capital, and you need big capital if you're gonna wholly own, you know, residential real assets, medium, long term. So, you know, family office money that we usually deal with in in our development business is is, is not sufficient to, to um, you know, aggregate, you know, 
500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 units that you're going to own for the medium term. So it needed to have an impact element to it. And the, um, you know, and the reality is that the Australian pension funds are not traditionally good first movers in an asset class. You know, so they'd rather see an asset class get established you know, and be proven and then they'd say, well, I'm happy to put the members' money into that asset class at that point, maybe take a lower return than the early money, but you know, that, that's fine. At least I know it's, it's sort of stable and proven. So, so that's been a challenge. So the thing that really broke the back of the Assemble model for us was the ANZ partnership. So when we could talk to uh, potentially equity partners or regulators or others that we had a partnership with ANZ and that Assemble was a cause that ANZ cared about and a housing model that it thought was going to have an impact in the Australian context, that sort of really changed the narrative for us. So, you know, that sort of, so it's about brand association. So you work with KPMG because they're a global practice, you know, and that's, you know, if they're validating our tax work, you know, then that's important. You work, you partner with ANZ because you know, they're one of the biggest banks in the country and, um, and that, so the conversation with state government, federal government, everything else really changed off the back of that. So, and then the third one, and actually this one caught me a bit by surprise, you know, because you think this is a really fair thing, people are going to love this, is now that we've started engaging with customers and we've got customers and I presented to a group last night and, you know, I was pretty honest about my background and, you know, the sort of development businesses that I've been involved in, in the past and what make is and, and sort of explained why I thought the model was important, but... Um, it's there's a there's a there's a deep distrust from from the consumers and customers out there towards development projects in the development industry. So we've had to do a lot of work to break that down. And our, our so in the creation of the Assemble brand, and you know we've got a publication on social issues and design and small footprint living in community and in inner city context, which has been going for six years and it's got forty thousand readers in Melbourne. So we've got some goodwill in that space, but to actually um, be able to you know, tell our customers honestly and have them believe it, that there's no fine print, there's no hooks, you know, it's a, it's a really fair deal for them has been a, a new challenge. Um, but, you know, we, we think we're through that and we think people believe in the model now, but it's, it's a good sort of demonstration effect of new housing models as well. So, you know, we're definitely not the same style of, you know, and the same investment model or building types that, say, Greystar would do, but it's, it's a new model, which we think is appropriate to the Australian context, but it's been, you know, a tough journey. So for Assemble, a success in 10 years looks, uh, looks like having had our first group of customers achieve a sort of dream of home ownership and, um, you know, and having done that with, the support, with deep capital support from um, the Australian banking sector and also obviously Australian pension funds. And for me, probably more so allowing moderate income households. So in Victoria, that's defined as a moderate income household is a single that's Got a household income up to about sixty thousand five hundred dollars, and a family with um, a family with single parent or two parents and dependent children up to a bit over one hundred and twenty thousand per annum gross household. So, if we can get those people, you know, into home ownership and allow those people to put down roots in that community over the medium to long term, get a GP that they can go to year after year, form a relationship with, be a more productive member of the community. We do a whole bunch of work with one of our um, consultant economists on. What does that mean for state productivity and economic productivity for an individual if they're not moving every 12 months and they can have more time to volunteer and people can get their kids into school, you know, that they're not going to have to move from every three years. What does that mean to the sort of psychology of a child, you know, to sort of be able to create long-term friendships and things like that? You know, the hypothesis is that that's going to be a really meaningful impact on people. So success for Assemble looks like, you know, people that have got a lot less anxiety towards their, their housing situation and, so, you know, and mentally for them that's... 
um, been, a, been a big improvement in state and you know and financially they, they feel sort of secure and safe and you know they've got a certain future and they can plan a future in one, in one of our buildings. The commerce you know is that we've delivered what we said we would for our investment partners you know and we think we've got really sort of modest assumptions as to how our model works and, and, and how we're going to deliver returns so we're really confident that we'll be able to do that but that's going to facilitate scale right so you know, if I've got, you know, if I'm dealing with a pension fund that's got 175 million dollars a week of new member contributions coming in, and they're looking for stable, long-term investments and places to house that capital, that particularly if you're an industry fund and you've got a sort of left-leaning philosophy and you want to be doing some good and having some impact while serving sole purpose of generating returns for members, then models like this, models like you know, beat pure BTR, you know, are really important and you know they're going to emerge as a really large part of the Australian housing equation. So build to sell, I think will be the predominant method for the delivery of new residential real estate in this country for the medium to long term. So and I think that's a really sophisticated and um, proven model. But, um, you know, I would have thought in 10 years, you know, a, you know, a sort of double digit percentage of new housing in this country will be coming out of alternative models that don't really exist today. First thing for me is ultimately that, you know, we make a difference to housing supply in, in Australia. Uh, you know, if I look at the US as, as an example, uh, it's been going there for a long time, but it's around 11% of the housing supply in, in the US. I think importantly, um, our ability to provide housing you know, through cycles and through downturns will be important um, because if we do hit a material downturn and we do see you know, a pullback in supply, people still need homes uh, and we can step in to provide that supply. Um, and if it, there is a shortage of supply, then what does that do to rental affordability for people? So hopefully we can make a difference, uh, difference there. The security that comes from having an institutional landlord uh, that doesn't intend to sell, doesn't intend to, you know, strata title the building and sell off the apartments and ultimately people, you know, feel a certain security from that is obviously a positive, you know, for the community. I think uh, from a capital markets perspective to see, you know, a flourishing, you know, deeply liquid, mature sector that institutional capital looks to invest in, is attracted to, um, debt financing becomes easier um, and ultimately, um, you know, if it is pension funds and, and superannuation funds and the like, um, you know, the product does provide something which is a very stable, passive income producing, um, you know, cash flow that is more robust than any other property asset class. So I think the ability to provide that as a baseline to any real assets exposure within a superannuation funds allocation is a real positive uh, and can provide long term for, for their members. So I think if we can get that scale and that liquidity um, into the market, we can get it accepted as a, you know, as a product to the institutions, get it accepted as a product for the consumers, then we can make, you know, we can make a difference. That's going to take some time. Now, Anne, you put the first build to rent to market. We've seen, you know, Social Affordable Housing Fund on the back of decades of lack of investment in the social housing space. And we've also seen new partnerships, something you'd never see happening, you know, so no one thinks Family and Community Services, Land and Housing Corporation, and then they queue up at the door to partner. What do you think are some of the things that have um, changed and allowed you guys to, you know, sort of grow the path that you have in terms of delivery? Uh, look, I think this really goes to the innovation and the appetite in the sector generally, and sector is a very broad church um, in that sense. And I think what we've really seen, uh, what we've seen with our work, with our Community Plus program, but now the build to rent concept and the amount of interest we've had 
in uh, thinking carefully about a first pilot project was that the market and our community housing sector colleagues, developers um, and the institutional investors they, that need to back these opportunities have really come forward and are being very open to us around the elements that are required for success, the issues of risk and matters, you know, and, and, and uh, commercial issues that need to be addressed as we move through this. So this has really been a journey, and I'd have to say it really has been in a very short period of time, really since 2016, but more recently with the amount of work that we've done over the last 12 months to really uh, be able to be confident to take a site like uh, Redfern out. I guess in that sense, the innovation, the investment and the commercial appetite but coming with our program comes a very big social commitment to a couple of key elements. Those of you who are familiar with our work know that we talk a lot about making great places and integrated communities and uh, tenancy support. So all of that goes to the sort of concept about um, if we are going to make these initiatives work then we have to be uh, very mindful and innovative I think around the service offering. So just in the build to rent space in itself that is a very innovative thing about the service offering that goes into a concept like that as opposed to um, a straight rental product. I think the level of innovation now as we step up into an environment where you're integrating social housing affordable housing and private housing in a truly uh, B BTR type of concept, I think that is the push through and I think that would be a real level of advantage and innovation and to make the concept real to us in the, con you know, the context of the sort of markets that we deal with, the sort of demand that we have for housing and the sort of lifestyle expectations and I think that's what sort of Brendan's gone to in some of his commentary. Now Brendan, you have no small challenge uh, in, a, in a career full of challenges. In the community housing sector, right, we are very different than overseas. We haven't come with an enormous amount of stock. You know, we haven't had, you know, sort of that level of subsidy continuously over, you know, decade of decade in order to make sure that our housing stock was both being maintained and growing. So how do we both build the capacity of the community housing sector and how do we maximize your role in order to meet sort of the needs of, you know, sort of that key worker affordable housing segment? I suppose there's um, three ways you should look at this. Firstly, it comes down to funding and uh, every bank that I've ever had any involvement with over my working life has always had a cap on the amount that can allocate uh, to property and it's just simply a capital allocation. Everybody in business uh, works on a capital allocation model. Uh, and you've got to recognise that, you know, risk and capital allocation all go, go together. There is a gap and there always will be a gap. We've probably got demand for maybe uh, a current population growth rates and, and current what I would call industry capacity. Our industry capacity is realistically about 180,000 dwellings per annum. We're building at the rate of in excess of 200,000 dwellings per annum. But how, how does that work? Well, all that happens is the completion times just get pushed out every, whether it's 
detached houses, medium density or apartments. They're all taking longer to build because it just isn't the subcontractor resources to support that. So what our objective is to actually is over the medium to long term generate a supply response that is focused particularly on the upper end of the, well, even from the middle of the social housing cohort to the, to the affordable housing cohort, because with all of the funding, etc., the social housing cohort is probably looked after qu quite a bit better than the affordable housing cohort. And they're the guys that are getting squeezed all the time. And, you know, if you've been following this for as long as I have, they have, if you go back 20 years, there was a lot of people who, who are, you know, the working poor were living in effectively Housing Commission, Department of Housing, etc. There's now, and would confirm, 100% of the social housing is occupied by social welfare recipients. So guess who's got, you know, displaced out of all that? And so a lot of the work we'll be doing is to facilitate and generate uh, supply for that affordable housing group. We'll also work with the states on the social housing side of things uh, as well, because if you can create more capacity, you might be able to bring the lower cohort of the affordable housing back in into, you know, a segment of of the social housing. So, going forward, uh, our role is to create affordable supply, and we're going to do that in a different. Uh, we're going to work with the CHPs to supply, to help them generate a supply response. But right out there at the present time, whether it's, whether it's land development on the fringes, um, there is infrastructure constraints everywhere. You know, if you've got 10 properties, for example, that are all held by developers, um, and there's two kilometres of downstream sewer, uh, a reservoir and three kilometres of water main and, and out here there's another kilometre and a half of high voltage electricity required to, to deal with a release area that anything is from 500 to 1,000 blocks of land. There's no bank anywhere in the world would, would fund that uh, by lending money to a developer that isn't directly going to increase the value of the collateral. So we're looking at how to fill that infrastructure funding gap. What we are looking to do is clear some of those constraints um, via lending that we're not going to go out and take any risk, but by by working with the state governments and the servicing authorities to clear those roadblocks because there are constraints relating to infrastructure in every capital city of Australia. And it's not just in the capital cities, it's in the regional areas. So the way we'll be addressing that is to say, okay, we'll provide a loan facility to fund the infrastructure in a 
new release area, for example, and we'll take security over the developer contributions from everybody. It's collected by a state government agency that probably has at least a shadow credit rating, uh, and they will then channel the, those developer contributions back to us to repay the loan. In the ideal world, we'll be lending 25 to up to 50 and with a payback period of four to five years coming out of, uh, out of land sales or apartment sales. That's the longer term response. In the shorter term, you know, right now there's supply overhang in the apartment sector in quite a few capital cities and we'll be assisting the CHPs to actually take up some of that oversupply. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod.